Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. Welcome to the Hard Thing Podcast, Johnny, and uh, let's get started with the question that I ask every single guest. Johnny, what's the hardest thing you've ever done? That is like a 30-way tie between a bunch of things, but probably, honestly, running a business. Not starting one, but actually keeping it alive when things start going wrong. I think that, for me, is has to at least be in the top three hardest things I've ever done. And I'm still doing it right now. I love I love that answer. Um, and, I, and I'll get to why I love that answer in a second. But for those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Justin Lewis. This is the Hard Thing Podcast. It's a show designed to dig into the quote-unquote secrets of people like Johnny who have done incredibly hard things and live to tell the tale and learn how to transport those secrets to mine in your life so that we can do the same thing. And uh, today I'm talking with Johnny Crowder, the creator and founder of Cope Notes, which is a text-based mental health platform. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later, as I'm guessing that's the business you are running. Uh, he's also a public speaker, TEDx speaker, suicide and abuse survival, as well as a touring musician. And as you can see in his video, if you ever get to ch a chance to see this video, he is apparently a sneakerhead. Uh, as uh, you said in one of your TED Talks as well, which that's really cool. Uh, but one of the reasons why I really like that answer is because one thing I've noticed with my guests is that, you know, they all have hard things in their past, but more often than not, they have hard things that they're doing right now as a matter of choice. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your business and, and what led you to doing it. Yeah, I want to I want to do my very best to keep this from being a commercial. So I'm only <laughs> going to describe what we do for like a sentence or sure. two and then I'll more tell you about like the what it actually feels like to run it, which Perfect. is I think what most people care about. Yeah. Um so the short explanation of what we do is we use daily text messages to improve mental and emotional health for people with or without diagnoses. So you could be like me living with schizophrenia, bipolar, PTSD, OCD, and it could help you, or you could be someone who's never had a diagnosis, you've never really worked on your mental and emotional health before, and you're just curious about what that would look like. We provide support, and it's just one text a day at a random time that trains your brain to think in healthier patterns. That's what we do. But I want to say to everybody listening that I never, ever planned on making a business, ever. I never wanted to be a CEO. Never wanted to be a tech founder, startup founder. It was like never a dream of mine. I just wanted to build something that would help people. And I think that's part of why this has been so difficult is because I didn't go to school for business. I went to school for psychology. You know, and I when I was growing up, I wasn't I didn't look up to like these millionaires and billionaires who built these tech empires. I looked up to like slipknot and corn and stuff. So this is like all a very Love new it. world for me, you know. That's awesome. Um it's very interesting that you never planned on making a business. So I have to ask, um, you just wanted to create something that helped people. 
when did it become a business? It be well, it became a business when my attempts to make it a nonprofit failed. <laughs> so we the original version of Cope Notes, the OG version was called Better People, and it never got off the ground because we didn't have any money. And then I started something called Not a Therapist, which never got off the ground because we didn't have any money. So I was like, oh, shoot, if I can't do this for free, then I need to charge something so that we have money to pay for the technology we need to do the thing. So I think it was, it, I was like kicking and screaming. I'm like, I don't want to make a business. And it was sort of like, okay, we'll make another nonprofit and watch it fail again. Or you can just charge 10 bucks for something so that you have money to build it. Right. Um, I, kind of maybe just a curiosity. Why were you first um, kind of reticent to make it a business? Well, number one, um, I'm like a, t I grew up as like a total DIY punk person. Like, oh, I'm not going to be a part of the system, man. <laughs> I was just like, that was kind of my mentality was like, I don't want to make a business. But also, I've never really dreamed of like having a business. You know, it's not, it's one of those things that I think everybody thinks they can do, but most people shouldn't. Kind of like singing. Everyone's like, I can sing. And it's like, well, should you? Like, are you, is, <laughs> is your voice good? Or do you just think you can sing? I think that's kind of how business is. And I never wanted to start a business, but I, some part of me must have thought that I could because I did. Hmm. It's just been, you know, the idea of making it, I picture it kind of like music. This is where, the perspective that I was approaching it from was, you know, as a musician, I make a song and then I give it to people and then people enjoy it. And then it's out there and people can listen and they're happy. So it's not, doesn't really feel like a business. It feels like you made something and then people enjoy it. So that's what I was hoping Cope Notes would be is like, I'll make a thing and then people can enjoy it. But I didn't realize that a business requires like constant <laughs> attention, you know? Yeah. With that constant attention, it, it naturally also requires um, kind of constant dedication, I guess. With, and this is specifically for the listeners out there who might have been in similar situations, starting something and then quote unquote failed. Uh, with your two previous attempts at, at launching an organization like this, um, what kept you trying again? It was remembering how much it hurt to not have a resource coupled with seeing news stories like and having conversations with people like every day you know there was some like high profile suicide or some you know a friend of mine dealing with addiction or just some kind of like it was like every single day i couldn't i couldn't forget because it was either me or someone i knew going through something that i knew i could make a material impact on like I can help with that. I can do something that would solve that problem. And I just got so fed up with hearing bad news every day. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to freaking do something about it now. And even though my first couple of attempts failed, I was like, I'm going to keep trying to do things until something doesn't fail because the alternative is to sit around and let it happen. I couldn't do it. So essentially it's kind of this, <clears throat> I guess the Spider-Man effect, if you could, um, characterize it as that just the idea of you know 
you have this ability and you feel such a pull towards solving this problem that uh, you could not let yourself do it. Is that right? Yeah, I always tell people, because people are like, what's your best advice for an aspiring entrepreneur? And I always say, like, don't start a business. Like, don't do that. If you can have a normal job and be a normal person and have weekends and holidays and a 401k and stuff, go do that. Are you kidding me? Like, go live a normal life and be happy. But if you can't not (laughs) build something, if you, like... Even if you had a day job, you'd spend your nights and weekends and lunch breaks working on building something because you're just that type of dude or dudette, then you're supposed to build it. And I think I'm definitely in that latter category. It's like I couldn't just be fine having like a normal, like, you know, believe it or not, I used to write commercials for a spaghetti sauce company. That was like part of my job. And I remember just thinking like, this is fun, but I'm not making an impact on it. I'm not helping anybody right, right. now. I'm writing a commercial for spaghetti sauce. Like, and there was something inside of me that was just like, you could spend your days doing something different that could help people. Hmm. I was like, dang, I have to, you know? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I think a lot of us, we, we probably get to a point where we kind of have that thought of like you know I, I i maybe i can do something in addition to what i'm doing now and uh kind of going back to the beginning of it what did you first do when you started your organizations both the the quote unquote failures and the current version um what were the first steps just to help those who are maybe thinking of doing something similar i think well Looking back, I actually did, I think, the smartest thing you could ever do without realizing that it was the smartest thing. I asked everybody I knew and everybody I met what they thought about my idea. Hmm. I asked what they needed help with. I asked what kind of features they would want. I asked if they even thought they would use it. I, before I built anything, I wanted to make sure that it was worth building. I don't want to spend a bunch of time and energy and money building something that people didn't want or people weren't interested in using. So I would, I remember I asked the person who delivered my mail (laughs) what they thought. And it's like, this person doesn't give a crap, but it's like that person's input is important too. I just wanted to ask, of course I asked like people I met through volunteering in the mental health world. And I asked like people who were really knowledgeable in that space. But I also asked, you know, my friends who work at Starbucks or my friends that I met from car shows or, or my friends in music, like, what do you think would be cool just to workshop the idea for months before I actually like worked on something. Wow. Uh, I I love that so much. Uh, Maybe specifically right now, just because, uh, with my own podcasting journey, I am trying to figure out how to get more specific and, and tailor down to exactly the right kind of people. Um, a lot of people, maybe they're, they're just too tied up in their own ego. You know, they're, they're super afraid of sharing the idea and then having someone be like, yeah, I'd probably never use that. So what sort of tips or, or maybe advice do you have for people in that situation who are so emotionally fragile with their idea? First of all, that's almost every creative person in the world. 
cares about their project more than they care about anything. Like, you can say whatever you want about me, but don't you dare insult yeah. my song or my painting <laughs> or whatever. Like, we get so attached to it. Yeah. But that, for me, is all the more reason to ask people for advice before you build anything. Because then if they say that's stupid, it's like, well, that's okay, because I didn't even build it anyway. So it doesn't matter if you don't like it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you spent six months building a prototype and people tell you it sucks, then you do one of two things. You either quit because you feel so discouraged, or you don't listen to their feedback because you've already put so much time and effort into building something and you have this sunk cost fallacy, like I've already mm -hmm. worked so hard on it, they don't know what they're talking about. So ask people before you build anything, and if they insult the idea, you're like, well, that's okay, it's not even real anyway. <laughs> it's not even a real thing, so that's fine. But also remember, some, I'll use the Slipknot example because I just brought them up. Tell me if you think this is a good idea. A band with nine people in it that wears jumpsuits and Halloween masks who run around banging kegs with baseball bats, screaming, and we'll put them on the radio. Like, that's a bad idea, dude. That's a, that's a garbage idea. And they are one of the highest grossing musical artists of all time. So... Don't take it personally if someone says your idea is bad. Like, hey, a lot of ideas are really bad and they still work. <laughs> See, that specific example is so powerful specifically because it really does depend on who you ask for the advice. Um, so I, I, I guess how do you ask the right people for the advice, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think... If I ask my nephew what f new feature we would add to Coke Notes, he'd be like, uh, Fortnite skins or something. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, that's not really helpful, yeah. actually. Right. Um, and you have to weight that. Like when you ask somebody and they give you their opinion, you have to filter that opinion through the lens of who they are and what they know. My best advice, if you're working on almost anything, is to reach out to... Um, a local university or college, ask them about what you're working on and see if they have maybe an entrepreneurship club or course or interns or some type of class that you could present in front of to get feedback from them because these are people who are actively learning about building businesses. Maybe you could present in front of business students and get their perspective on like holes. But I will tell you whether you do that, whether you approach your local like chamber of Con commerce or economic development center or you do a one million cups presentation or something like that your goal should always be to identify holes in your idea your goal is not to go out and see if people can support your idea your goal is to see if someone says uh well that's cool and all that you help support people via text message but um what if someone lives in Mexico and they have a different country code? Like the U.S. code is plus one. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, what if someone has a different country code? And at the time, someone said that. We were like, uh, um, well, I guess, uh, I guess we uh, couldn't text them. <laughs> we had to like completely rethink the way we did our international services. 
So th- actually, just remember this. Best case scenario is someone helps you identify a blind spot. Worst case scenario is people go, that's really cool. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh crap, I didn't learn anything. Because if a thousand people tell you something wrong with your idea and you make a thousand adjustments, you have an incredible product. But you have to remember that some of those people will be experts in the field they are sharing. And some people will just be random people or who are like, how come you don't do this? And it's up to you to determine how to weight those pieces of feedback. Wow. That's honestly, I think, like you said, that is probably one of the smartest things a, a budding entrepreneur can learn is the ability to go out and, you know, find those people who know how to poke holes in a productive way in your idea. Was there, and this is probably a long shot, but was there ever a time when someone uh, found a hole that you hadn't seen, but once they found it, it was glaringly obvious, but also incredibly difficult to fill or solve? Oh yeah. That's, that's probably the most common scenario (laughs) is someone is like, well, how come you don't just make a fully translated library for every different dialect of Spanish? Wow. And I'm like, well, yeah, that sounds freaking great. But like when the heck and who the heck and how the heck and, you know, yeah. I have so many questions and what's it going to cost and who do we go? How are we going to find a panel of native speakers of that specific dialect to then serve on our panel and review content on a weekly basis? I'm going to need a project manager and someone to organize all those people. So... That happens a lot, and what I do is, I'd say if you don't use a project management tool, please start using one. So even if it's sticky notes for the time being, just have something. I use Trello, and I have a column that just says IDK. (laughs) That's the name of the column is IDK, I don't know. And that's where I put all those things, where I'm like, okay, I know I need to handle this, but I don't even know exactly how I would do that. It's going to be a heavy lift. So for the time being, I'm putting it in my IDK column and then at least it's written down so I won't forget it. And I can come back to it when I have time. I think it's uh, coincidental maybe that you're saying that. Like in the last month and a half, I started using uh, Google Keep, um, not even for business. Well, I guess business things, but just writing down anything I wanted to do just so I didn't forget it. And uh, I've found myself you know, adding more specificity to that, those two things has has really made my life a lot easier when I'm like, okay, I want to do something quote unquote productive. I want to get something done, but what do I want to get done, right? Yeah, I love that. Kind of moving on, you said the hardest thing, we've talked all, you know, kind of all this about starting up a business, but you know, you said the hardest thing was running your business. Um, dive us into what that means and specifically, what are the hardest things about running a business? Um, every single day that you run a business, something will go wrong. At least one. Actually, if one thing goes wrong, it was like a great day. <laughs> like how on earth did you have a day where only one thing went wrong? Um, so things go wrong all the time. And also people say no to you constantly. Literally every single day, things go wrong and people reject you. And that's really hard to handle for anybody. But if it's any consolation, that stuff happens in your everyday life too. We get rejected all the time in our personal lives, in our professional lives, even if we don't run a business. Um, 
it just feels amplified because if you, let's say you get rejected three times and four things go wrong in your normal life. If you're a business owner, you get rejected 37 times and 12 things go wrong. And you're like, holy crap, this is just like such a high volume of things that are not going the way I want them to go. And it's, I've heard people describe being a CEO as being a firefighter. Like your whole job is putting out fires. It's like whack-a-mole. And I mean, it's, it's a worthwhile use of your time because if you keep doing that, your company can and will grow because you're protecting it. But a lot, I think people view building a company as like this offensive thing. Like I'm going to go out there and gobble up market share. But uh, there's a lot of defense. It's a lot of like protecting your team, protecting your product, protecting your customers from things that might go wrong. Because, for example, if you run a technology company, technology is changing every single day. There's like, you know, Google might be down. There might be an Amazon web services outage or something. Mm-hmm. It affects millions upon millions upon millions of people and it's your company's job to try to insulate your customers from experiencing the interruption so for us we're like hey if something explodes on the back end the first thing we think is how do we keep anyone we serve from knowing that this happened kind of like if you ever at a restaurant and your food takes a while to get out your server might say, sorry, we're backed up in the kitchen. But what really happened is that they burnt the living crap out of your salmon. And it was disgusting. And they maybe it caught on fire and they had to spray it with a uh, fire extinguisher. But they don't want to tell you that. Mm-hmm. They just want you to think your food took a little while longer. And that is kind of what makes it such a challenge to run a business is not only are you putting out fires like that, but you're also doing everything you can to insulate the people that you serve from experiencing any kind of inconvenience because of it. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, That particular example kind of resonates with me uh, of the server, kind of brings to mind this uh, moment we went to, me and some friends, we went to uh, Vander's Keep here in Utah, which is kind of, uh, it's a themed restaurant, you could say, serves more of the nerdy types. and uh, and I see you smiling. I can explain what that means later. But the uh, server kind of avoided our table. Our food was taking so long, and, and the server avoided our table. And um, you know, putting that in a business perspective, uh, if if that happens with the business, your customers are gone. They're not going to stick around because yeah. we have so many buy with one click options nowadays. That you know, you do one thing wrong, people leave. Yeah. So um, I, I wanted to ask. As as a firefighter yourself, not not a real firefighter, but a CEO firefighter, how do you yeah. how do you balance um, firefighting, which I, I'm terming as taking care of problems with things that already exist, balance that with the ability to progress, move forward, innovate, create new things, and kind of you know protect, but also do that offensive, like you mentioned. Um. What you just asked is kind of like, I'll give, I don't know if this is going to be a good metaphor, but I'll try it. <laughs> it's kind of like asking, um, how are you going to remember to eat candy when salad exists? <laughs> and it's like, well, dude, candy is delicious and awesome. And I'm sure at some point I'm going to have candy. Right. 
salad, if I don't eat it, I'll die. That Much like sense. if you don't deal with those problems in your company, your company's going to go belly up. Yeah. Those are the facts. But trust me, <laughs> you will always find time and attention to build some new, shiny, awesome thing. Like at, le- at least for me, maybe this isn't everybody, but for me, the most fun part of building a company is building a product and seeing that product make people happy. Hmm. There is no feeling like that in the world. If I could spend all my time and attention working on something that makes people feel better, oh, oh, chef's kiss, I would do it all (laughs) the time. So for me, it's not necessarily a balance of finding time for that. It's a balance of remembering that if I don't put out the fires, then I'll never get to build the cool thing. Kind of like if you don't eat your salad, you won't be alive to enjoy candy, you know? Right. Yeah. That That's really uh, insightful, I'd say. Because um, it, <clears throat> and actually, maybe I'd ask a question. Um, do you think it's possible that if you only spend time putting out fires and, and essentially keep your company alive, that it's it's still possible for your company to fail because you're not doing any of the kind of candy related activities? That's a really cool question. Um, I think it, this is going to sound, I don't know if this is going to sound how I want it to sound, but I think (laughs) it kind of depends on whether or not your idea is good and whether or not your, your product is helping anybody. Like think about this. Um, If Dannon, the yogurt company Mm -hmm. didn't make a new yogurt flavor for nine months, because they were putting out fires, I would be fine. Yeah. I'd be fine. I would still buy the normal kind of Dannon that I like nothing is really gonna materially change. Right. Because people already like the thing that exists. But if Dannon had a bunch of really garbage flavors out there and they needed to make a new flavor ASAP and they they put it off for nine months because they were putting out fires, they might go under because no one wants to buy sour cream and onion yogurt (laughs) so i think it depends on like the state of your product and whether or not it's make it's capable of making people happy for however many months you need to put out those fires oh that that answer is really good um maybe kind of a, a circle around question um when you are putting out fires how do you find and obviously we can kind of go through the same process as before of asking people getting feedback and things what are some methods that you've used to find some of those holes that are existent in your product or or service now that are causing some of those fires i am a dude first of all your customers will tell you if they're not happy (laughs) and you need to listen to them because they're the only reason why you have electricity in your office Mm -hmm. so you have to even if they're mean and annoying and they are saying things to purposely hurt you maybe they're like i can't believe anyone at dana would make a sour cream and onion yogurt you guys are idiots please try to filter through the meanness and anger in that person's words to find the kernel of truth something made them unhappy and that might be because of your product might not be but please log that and listen to it because there could be a kernel of truth there but the other thing is um relentlessly ask for feedback relentlessly ask like we have feedback texts 
We have a feedback form on our website. We do qualitative studies. We do quantitative studies. We do canvassing. We do surveys. We, I am telling you, we always want to hear from people because when you're building something, you adore it. You love it so much that it's easy to, to overlook the things that other people aren't really fond of. And I can tell you with all honesty that half the reason Cope Notes is good today is because of stuff I thought of. Half is because of complaints that people have made about earlier versions of the product that we decided to make better and better and better based on those suggestions. So really, if your company will succeed, I think it is in large part because it is crowdsourced like people are telling you what they wish your company did. And then you have to cross-reference it like, okay, what's my goal? And does their suggestion line up with our company's goal? If so, build it. If not, IDK column, baby. <laughs> you don't have to build it right now. Ah, I, uh, I'm loving these answers so much um, because they're just getting me thinking in, in a selfish way of like, yeah, okay, how does that apply to my podcast and, and things like that? Um, so I really, really appreciate that. Um, in in one of your recent LinkedIn posts, uh, I noticed that you talked about kind of a, a revelation that you had after a TEDx talk that you gave and, and, and you realized that you need to delegate more and, and kind of do more of that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about kind of what your plans are moving forward? Maybe not specifically, but just how you intend to delegate more, kind of build up more teams and hopefully take a little bit more off your plate. <laughs> so, yeah, if you missed anyone who didn't read the post, which is probably everybody listening, <laughs> um, I just got wicked burnt out. I'm trying to do a bunch of people's jobs all at once. And we actually, it's been created by, um, we we had a few people I had to make, I had to fire a couple people, which is a terrible feeling. And then we had somebody quit. So there was like a big deluge of, you know, we had people, we had hands on deck and then they left. Mm -hmm. And I inherited a lot of that work. And I was like, oh, I just got to power through it. And it, dude, it can wear you out trying to do three more people's jobs on top of your own. It was just, <laughs> it was just, it, it was not a great plan. And I think the scary part about hiring somebody is you think, okay, this is going to cost the company a tremendous amount of money to employ somebody. Mm -hmm. It is like, on, on average, it, it costs the company 150% of the employee's pre-tax salary to employ them. Mm -hmm. So if I'm paying someone 50 grand, the company's paying 75 and $75,000 is a buttload of money, especially if you're in your first five years of a company. Mm -hmm. So hiring someone freaks you out. Like, I'm gonna, geez, I'm gonna have to pay 70. And that's, that's if their base salary is $50,000. Right. You might need to hire uh, some kind of like super high level person whose base salary is gonna be in the six figure range. And you're like, oh man, I'm so nervous about hiring people. The fact is, if you hire them, you spend a lot of money. There's no two ways about it. Like, that's just the facts. Mm -hmm. If you don't hire them, you spend a lot of energy. You can always make more money. 
it is extremely challenging to make more energy. And that's what I'm learning. I have to spend more money to hire more people because I ran out of energy after that talk and it just about put me out of commission. And I can't afford to do, I, you can take out a line of credit if you run out of money. You cannot take out a line of energy or something if you run out of energy. You're just incapacitated. Now, obviously, it kind of comes to mind that some people, uh, budding entrepreneurs might be a little bit too excited to get to this point of, hey, let's hire some people, you know, inject some energy into our company. Um, in your opinion, how do you know you're ready to start building out a team? I mean, I'm still in the middle. Like, I hope no one is listening to this thinking like, oh, Johnny Crowder is an expert sage. But, like, I'm literally talking to you guys while I'm building this thing. Right. I make mistakes all the time. If I had to fire people, that meant I didn't hire very well. So I'm learning this stuff as I go. Um, I'll say that some of it does come down to, like, how much money do I have to spend? Like, what is the company's budget? Like, how much money do we have in the bank right now? Mm -hmm. How much money does it cost to keep this entire company alive every month versus how much money do we make every month? So there's, like, some basic math that goes into it to make sure you don't, like, accidentally bankrupt your company by <laughs> hiring a couple of people, which I totally almost did. Wow, I'm so glad that I didn't do that. I was That would have been very bad. But... The other part of it is, I think you know you're ready to hire somebody when you start, and I'm, I am, this is about me right now, just so everybody knows it. I'm not telling you, I'm saying this about myself. You know you need to hire somebody when you start doing a bad job at all the stuff you're supposed to do. Not because you're not good at it, but because you don't have enough time to do it all. Uh, I'll repeat that just because I think that's a really good and powerful statement. Um, Johnny said that it's time to hire someone when the stuff that you know you're supposed to do is faltering just because you don't have time to do it, right? Um, moving on a little bit and, and kind of switching tacks. Um, we've been talking about business this whole time, but if it's possible, I would like to dig into some of your tips, I guess, techniques, tools, really anything you can share for those who are kind of on the other side of Cope Notes rather than in the business seat. They're more in the diagnosed or non-diagnosed seat. Um, what tips or advice would you give to someone who is currently suffering through difficulties with mental health? My two quickest pieces of advice um, are, number one, if you're not already talking to somebody about it, talk to somebody about it. And I don't necessarily mean, like if you're ready to go to therapy or to meet with a counselor or stuff, heck yeah, go do it, that's awesome. But for me, I wasn't ready for that for a long time. So for me, that looked like talking to my dog about it. And I'm not joking. I am not making a joke right now. I would talk out loud to my dog about how I felt. And then I graduated to being able to share with a couple friends what I was going through. And maybe those conversations didn't start out super in-depth and super deep, but at least it like primed the pump and got me used to being able to talk about those things. Started journaling a little bit and just like 
dip your toe into expressing what you're going through. Maybe through art, maybe through music. Like do something that allows you to express what you're going through. Don't bottle it up. Um, best case scenario would probably be a conversation with somebody that you know, but a conversation with a stranger ain't so bad either. And the other thing I would say is, if you are experiencing any kind of mental or emotional distress whatsoever, which is literally everybody who is listening to this call, Google what you're going through. If you, like for me, I have, um, just recently I was having a lot of trouble sleeping and I was having night sweats. I'm like, what the heck is going on with me? I feel so anxious at night, not sleeping really well, and I Googled it and found out that it was related to, or it could be, I mean, Google didn't diagnose me with anything, <laughs> but Google, I Googled it and found out that a lot of people after they experience a very large life change, like I just moved. It was a very stressful, emotional move. I was not planning on moving. You have to dig through all your old stuff and all these memories start coming back. And then, oh, it's just, and then trying to find an apartment is really stressful. <laughs> and then we didn't have furniture delivered for a long time. And I read that my nighttime anxiety could possibly be related to me sleeping in a new room and having a hard time adjusting to my new surroundings. And I was like, huh, interesting. Whatever it is that you're experiencing, just Google it, even if it's wrong what you read on Google, which it might be, <laughs> at least you took a step towards learning about what you're going through. Because if you can learn about what you're going through and talk about it, you are miles ahead of whatever is ailing you. That is really insightful. I, th I think, like you said, um, it puts you ahead, <clears throat> but I think it also maybe gives you a little bit of hope because it, it starts to, to show that, you know, at, at least, at least something can be tried. And I, I think that, you know, starts to open up the gate to, you know, feeling somewhat better, maybe. Um, now, Here's a question that I, I really like asking guests, and I, I rarely get a chance to ask them, but <clears throat> what is a question that you have been dying to answer or talk about, but no one's really ever asked you before? I don't really... Th I've never really thought that way. I'm never like, oh, I hope somebody will ask right. me something. Because <laughs> if I need to say something, I'll say it. That's a good way to be. Um, while you're thinking of that, uh, if it helps to have more time, um, kind of another question I thought was, you know, your first tip was to express what you're going through. Talk to someone about it, right? Um, this is more just a curiosity, but why do you think that we have to do that? Or, or why do you think that helps us? Well, at least for me, if you keep stuffing it down and you keep burying your head in the sand, pretending it's not real, um, it stays inside of you and you never actually validate it. Like, for me, when I wrote a song, 
and I had it outside of myself. It was like, now it's not just this thing boiling inside me, it's a song. And I can listen to that song and read the lyrics of that song. And it felt like it was separate from me. And it felt like it validated that feeling to have it expressed. And only after I had validated it and after it was outside of me could I actually look at it objectively and be like, okay, now I can deal with it because I'm not pretending it doesn't exist anymore. Like. I don't know, think about breaking your ankle and then just walking on it all the time. Mm. You could do that. Some people do that. But until you sit down and you're like, bro, I'm like 99% sure my ankle is broken. Like being able to say it out loud and validate like, oh yeah, and the pain is freaking bananas. Like being able to say that out loud and being able to hear yourself say that kind of jump starts that process of we should do something about it. Mm. But if you keep your mouth shut and you never look right at it, I guess hypothetically you could just walk on that ankle until it completely deteriorates, yeah. you know, but you shouldn't want to do that. Yeah. I guess it does go a long way in helping make it real for you. And if it's real, it could be treated, you know, dealt with, overcome, mm -hmm. helped, you know, whatever verb or thing you want to put in there. Um, thank you so much, Johnny, for coming on the show and um, walking through your story and, and, and some of your current struggles and difficulties in, in running your business and, and your past triumphs as well as you know your experience. So I, I really appreciate you coming here. Um, I want our audience to have a chance to reach out to you. So how can our audience connect with you, support you, and see what you're up to? Copenotes.com is probably where you can find the most information. Um, if you want to watch my TED talk, actually I have another one coming out soon, but if you just go to YouTube and search Johnny Crowder, you should be able to find one or both of my talks. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Johnny Crowder loves you. I use Facebook periodically and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn now, which makes me feel very adult. <laughs> um, so just look me up on any of the social platforms. And then, um, if you want to, if you're like a metal person, if you really enjoy metal or hardcore or rock or anything like that, um, I am in a band called Prison. So you can look up Prison on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. The artist is named Prison, but we have a record called Still Alive that I think you might enjoy. Cool. Uh, I will put those in the show notes, but <clears throat> before we let you go, we got to give our audience some action items. So this is the list that I came up with uh, based on what we talked about. Number one, Ask someone specific questions about your idea <clears throat> before building it out. Number two, present your idea to a business-minded group of sorts, like you talked about at the university or chamber of commerce. Number three is talk to your closest person or dog or pet about your struggles and, and start opening up the door of expression. And number four is Google what you're going through. Uh, would you like to add to that list at all? Number five is the last thing I'll say. Stop pretending that you don't have to work on your mental and emotional health. Stop thinking that you can do it tomorrow or next week or next month. Stop thinking that it's more of an issue for your sister or your cousin or your coworker or your friend or whatever. Start taking personal ownership over your mental and emotional health today like before you go to bed if you're in bed get out of bed 
and do something about it, then get back in bed. I love that. Uh, awesome. So I will put all those up in the show notes. Uh, audience, thank you so much for sticking in and listening to today's episode. If you get a chance, reach out to Johnny on any of his social medias or through Cope Notes and thank him for coming on the show. But seriously, Johnny, thanks for sharing your, your story. Thanks for coming here. And uh, hopefully we can all do these action items. And audience, stay tuned after this to hear from some of our show sponsors. But uh, keep doing hard things, guys, and uh, keep overcoming average. Thanks, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. One quick announcement for today's show, and you might have heard this already, even in today's episode, but uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys. Once in a lifetime, you have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh my guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up <laughs> uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, so look forward to having dinner with you.